That did, just so you know, that did not happen in the first service, so it's all your guys' fault. <laughs> so I think you're supposed to bring your own lunch next week, ladies. I think that, and for those who don't know, Shelby, the blonde, is one of our board members, so now you know what church is like. And just so if you were confused whether Josh said Thursday or Tuesday, it is Tuesday for Roy's uh, small group. So, great time. Great time. Good morning. I am Pastor Rick. I am the executive pastor here at Church of Briargate. Pastor is off at, as we say, the mother church. We have the Russian church that we hold here on Sunday afternoons, and he is up in Denver at the, at the mother church for that Russian church, uh, preaching with them uh, this morning. So you get to listen to me today. Good, bad, and ugly, you got me. Before I do that, though, this week for many, start school. Some already started school, some are starting school, and uh, heading off to college, heading off to high school, junior high, whatever. Uh, some, some may even be doing their doctor program. If you are going to school, I'd like you to stand up. That means all of you over here, just about, except for you, you're not going to school. <laughs> well, yeah, you are going to school, aren't you? Stand up. There you go. And Zach's going to come up. He doesn't like this, but he's going to come up here. Because I have the power to make Zach stand in for everybody. <laughs> uh, in a couple of weeks, Zach leaves us. And we may, the pastor probably say something next week, but he's heading off to college at Valley Forge in Pennsylvania. So we are losing him. And if you have enjoyed his playing, which I have, it's been a, really a joy to watch Zach go from the back row to the, to the front of the church. It's, it's awesome how God, no, don't sit down yet, guys. We're not done yet. Nice try. <laughs> nice try. Um. But he's heading off to Valley Forge to go to school, so we're going to miss his playing and, and uh, his heart. His heart really is, his, he plays for God. Uh, that's why he does what he does, and it's, it's been a great ministry. So he's going to be heading out, and he's going to represent everybody else that are standing. Have we got any teachers in here? God, if you're a teacher, stand up for us, please. Teacher, counselor, deal with school. Yes, I am making you all stand up, too. You'll be okay. You know, our teachers are under attack, our schools are under attack, and these people stand in the, in, in the realm of protecting our kids as they go, and they need, they need our prayers. So, with the teachers and the students, we're going to take and pray over these guys as school is beginning, and some have already started, but they need our prayers, amen? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you touch all these students. Lord, Heavenly Father, that you would take and encourage their heart, give them the strength they need if they're going to public schools to withstand the indoctrination that's going on, withstand the things that come and attack them from left and right. May their hearts shine for you and kids be drawn to them because of who they are in you. Lord, that they would be able to be strong in their studies and study themselves to be approved of you. For these teachers and others who are in the school environment, Heavenly Father, who are standing on the front lines protecting our, our students as they come in the classroom, Heavenly Father, and are trying to give them truth, may you encourage their hearts and strengthen them as they start the school up this year, Heavenly Father. 
that they feel a supernatural power of you when they enter that classroom, that your hand would be upon them, that their classrooms will fill, be filled with your presence every day, Lord. Lord, in supernatural ways, in school buses throughout this district, Heavenly Father, with those who drive, who are Christians, Heavenly Father, their school buses be filled with your presence, that there will be a sense of difference and a testimony to you. Lord, Heavenly Father, we need education, and we need to be able to have it in the right way, in a good way. So touch all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go be less embarrassed, Zach. Make sure you tell Zach how much you appreciate him. He will probably run that way out of the church. He will run and disappear, I'm sure. So block the doors and just say, thanks, Zach. <laughs> you can hate me later. <laughs> after, after being a Christian for 50 years, I was, I was saved when I was about five years old, give or take. And over 30 years of ministry... I love it when God takes the word and brings something new into my life out of it. Because some of you know you read the word and you read the word and it becomes rote, right? Sometimes you go to read the word and you find yourself just more skimming it than actually reading it because you've read those stories so many times that you just skim over them and you just keep on moving. I want to encourage you to slow those things down. Take and let God show you something new. And I, I love how he takes things that I have studied and looked at and says, there's something else I want you to see in that. Read it again. There's several different sermons I've preached and things I've read in the Bible that I've twisted a bit, not twisted the scriptures or changed the, the theology in it, but twisted it from what I knew. I think of like the story of Peter walking on the water. And we come and harp on Peter of his lack of faith as he's walking on the water because he sinks, right? Did you ever think about 11 others that were still in the boat? They didn't even get out of the boat? You think Peter didn't have faith. They were still cowering in the boat. Or how the fact that Peter had to be so far away from the boat that he couldn't save himself. He could only call out for Christ. And Christ didn't calm the seas right then. He Waited till they were back in the boat before he calmed the seas. Some, a story that we take for granted, and God showed me something new. We're going to look at Luke chapter 15 today, and we're going to see something new, I think, today. Some of you may have seen this before. God may have already spoken in your life. But when I looked at the story of the prodigal son, God said, hey, what about this? So I began to look at it, and we're going to deal with that that twist in that story that you may not be expecting. You know, like they say, plot twist, right? So the story of the prodigal son is what we're going to look at, right? And we often only consider it from either the father's viewpoint or the prodigal son's viewpoint. And we know the story fairly well that the young son who's entitled and woke takes and demands from his father his inheritance, right? I mean, those of us who are, are the young ones in the family, I'm the youngest, sometimes we think we're entitled more than the rest. And he felt entitled, and he said, I want my stuff. What you are supposed to give me when you die, give it to me now. 
I guess the upside about that story is he's not 30-something still living in his parents' basement. <laughs> he didn't fail to launch. He, he went out full force. Not in the right way, but he went out full force. And many parents are thankful when their kids get out of the house. Some of us boomerang back for a few months or years, and we got to get back out. But in the meantime, he's out there, he's wasted his money, and he finds himself eating breakfast with the pigs, right? And he wakes up and says, you know, why am I doing this? I can go back home and be a servant and get better. Then we see the story from the father's point of view. Father's daily looking for a son. How many parents, if their children disappeared, would daily look for their son or their daughter, Right? If your children disappeared, you would search. We had a daughter that disappeared on us, not by her choice, but she disappeared. And I know Didi took and searched obituaries, making sure she was not dead. She looked and looked and waited, and we praise God that she's come back to us after about 10 years. She got out of the, the situation, and she's back in our lives and the father sees his son a distance away, and he goes and runs and grabs his son and wraps his arms around him and says, hey, we're going to party like it's 1999. For young kids, change that to 2099, you understand better. He says, we're going to have a great party. And that's the way we tend to look at this story, is just from those two perspectives, right? There's a third perspective for you to take a look at, though. There's a third character that comes into this story. It's the older brother. When Jesus tells a story, there's a reason for every character in that story. There's a purpose that he's trying to tell about. He doesn't just put somebody in the story for filler. He just doesn't take them in there and say, we'll toss this out. Because if we, when we read the story, we can see that the third son, the third character, the older son, is not necessary to tell the story about the prodigal son. So we got to ask ourselves why. Well, maybe it shows contrast between being selfish, the selfish younger brother, because he was a good older brother that stayed home. You know, the the oldest is always the best, right? They behave themselves, they follow the rules. <laughs> but I think there's something greater than just the contrast of the younger son who took everything and ran and the older son staying back. I think there's something more that God wants us to look at and see in this story because he would not put them in the story if there wasn't a purpose for us to learn. And I encourage you when you're reading through scripture, ask yourself, why is that there? Not just skim over it because it seems like just a added bit of the story. Look at it because there's a purpose. All scripture is there for a purpose, right? So let's look at the story. Luke chapter 15, beginning verse 11. Jesus is speaking. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, 
His younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. He moved to Vegas. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. How long does it take us to get out of our sin? I mean, that's essentially what's being talked about here. Is he's in his sin, and it took him a period of time to realize, you know, I don't have to eat this sloth. I could just go home. How many times for us do we wallow in our sin before we realize, you know, I, I don't know why I'm doing this. And come to our senses, right? I would say here it could probably take days, weeks, maybe a month or so. Before he finally came to his senses, how long does it take you to get to your senses and say, I got to get out of my sin? I got to get out of my sin. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way, way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. He didn't take and just go to his son and say, you have screwed up, and crush him. He was a wise enough man to realize that his son was already crushed. The fact that his son had taken and sucked up his pride humbled himself, and came back home after all that he did. How many of us would be willing to do that? After we took and were so arrogant, I would venture to guess there's some of us that want to take and go back to where we started from when we messed up that bad. This father could have crushed him, could have said a whole lot of things to him, dragged him through the mud, but he realized, no, I just need to know my son, that I love him for being my son. So he runs to him and embraces him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, both you, against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. We are going to reestablish him in his place of honor in this home of being one of my sons. Huge lesson there for us. How many times we crush people instead of just loving on them a bit. Is there, should there be discipline? Sure there is. There wasn't a point of discipline here. He could see that. He just needed to know that he was loved and embrace him. And put him in the rightful place that he came back to be. And kill the calf we have fattened. We will celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. How many have been there? Somebody you thought was gone forever, come back. And you celebrate that they're back in your life. We celebrated that our daughter was back in our life. 
after being gone for so many years of not having contact or intermittent contact. We celebrate that. We need to celebrate the fact when somebody comes from the lost and is found. Here's our plot twist. Enter the older son. This is where we got to look and say, why did God, why did Jesus talk about this older son? What was the purpose? Who is he? We know that the prodigal son represents those of us who are lost and come back to Christ. Right? We know that the father represents God and his love for us and willingness to accept us. Who is this older son? What does he represent? Why is he even in the story? Well, let's look at this. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, and he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours come back, doesn't say when my brother doesn't connect with his brother. How many have been so angry at one of your relatives you said, your child? Any parent do that? Turn to your spouse and say, your child did this. Here the older brother is saying, your son, not my brother, your son, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the question is, is why is this third character here? Why did God, Jesus see the need to add the story of the older son? Who does he represent? I propose to you he represents those of us who are Christians. Who have been walking after God and serving him. Not necessarily representing all of us, but representing a few of us. So what about this older son? Well, when you look at this, the older brother's angry. He's angry. Why is he angry? He's angry at the fact that they're celebrating this son coming in, and he's left out. But he was invited in, but why are we celebrating? He went off and wasted things. He should be punished. He should be destroyed. He should be anything but being celebrated, and yet we're celebrating him. He's angry over the fact that he never got something that now his brother's getting. Sometimes we as Christians become angry when a new Christian comes in and we see God begin to work in their life. You know whose issue that is? Not theirs. The issue is yours in your heart. The issue is whether you're allowing God to work through you and move in you or if you are just taken and become complacent. And mediocre in your faith. 
We sometimes see new Christians and we get a little jealous. Well, God's working in their life. Why isn't he working in mine? The issue isn't the fact that God's working in their life. The issue is the fact that you've not allowed God to work in your life. You have become complacent in your life. You have let God become just academic in your life. You have gone through the motions and it become more of a religion than a faith. The reason God is working in their life is because they're allowing God to do it. It's new. It's exciting. We pray they don't become like us and disgruntled and lazy. So he's angry that his brother's getting something that he felt he never got. My question is, did he ever ask dad, hey, can I take and have a go? Did he ever ask his father to engage in his life to, to bring something in? Or did he become so complacent that he didn't even see what was there before him? Or felt that, well, my brother asked for everything and I don't want to be a needy person, so I'm not going to ask for anything. The failure is on the older brother, not on the father. The older brother's jealous. He's a bit jealous, don't you say? When you look at that, he's jealous that the fattened calf was killed for him, but I didn't get a go. We can be jealous over those who are lost and now found because God seems to be engaged in our life and not ours. Again, the issue is you, not them. It's you willing to engage with Christ and have him work in your life. We sometimes get accustomed to where we're at. Or we get a little disgruntled because, well, I've asked, I've asked, I've asked, and nothing happens. Well, last time I read scripture, it says, ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking. A lot of times we ask once and walk away, and God says, that's it. He's jealous that the brother's got something he doesn't have. Instead of rejoicing that the brother is even there. We as Christians should be rejoicing over what's going on. One of the things I love coming back to church on is hearing what God has done in people's lives throughout the week. How God has touched and changed and moved. I talked during prayer time about the individual who came and talked to me today and shared a story about how he has gone to God recently to say, God, I want the joy of this job again. If you have called me to this position and this work, I want to feel the joy of it again. I want to feel the excitement of it again. And for the first time in a long time, he's excited about getting back into the job that he was called to do and touching the lives he has ability to touch. Because he said, God, I want this. He engaged in his relationship with Jesus. How many of us are daily do that or don't do that? And then we wonder why we're disgruntled. When's the last time you engaged God and said, God, give me a new vision, a new excitement for what I'm doing. You've asked me to be here and I'm here. I don't want to be engaged with these people that I have around me. 
the older brother's a bit selfish too. Because here we have the younger brother coming back and a celebration with all of the servants and everybody was there and they're dancing and having a great old time. And he's jealous of this happening and he's a bit selfish in the fact that he tells his father, not once did you give me a goat for what? To celebrate and enjoy your presence? No, he said, so I can go hang out with my friends. So I can take and show them, look how great I am. Being Because I've been to the Middle East, they, there's a lot of times they have parties and it's about the individual showing how important they are. And the point of him having the goat there is to take and show his buddies, look how important I'm in. Look how good I am at this. Oftentimes we want something from God just simply to say, look how good I am. Not because we want to say how great God is, that he's provided for us, that he's given this to us, not as a testimony to the world to say our God is alive and in charge of life, but simply to say, look how good I am. Look at all the stuff I have. Look how important I am. The song we sang this morning says what? We are here for you. Many times as Christians, what we're actually saying is, you are here for me. Right? And that's kind of what the older son is saying is, Father, you're here for me, and you should have given me and done this for me. No, if you listen to the words of the songs we sing and really start listening to it, that song we sang today is, we are here for you. The purpose of coming to the church is to worship Him, to enjoy His presence, to take and be engaged with Him. The purpose of our lives is to engage with God, to have an intimate relationship with Him. But we keep twisting it up and saying, you are here for me. That's not why God is here. We're here to worship Him. And in worshiping Him, He gives back to us. In putting him place in the right place, he gives back to us. The older brother lost some perspective in life. What'd you say? He lost some perspective. He lost perspective of the situation. He lost perspective of the situation that his younger brother was lost, was out there. Don't know if he's dead or alive. How many of you would take and be concerned if your child was out there and you never heard from them? And you hear from them and that little bit brings life to you. He lost concern for that brother who was beside them. Sometimes we lose concern for those sitting beside us. We're so self-absorbed that we don't notice when somebody's not at church. And go wonder, where are they at? Are they okay? Is everything fine? Are they alive? Are they sick in the hospital? Is something going on? We get so self-absorbed, and then when nobody pays attention when we're gone, we get hurt feelings over it. We can't be so self-absorbed. We are a family. We should be looking after each other. We should be watching after each other. We should know when somebody's not here and wonder, are they okay? 
We need to care for one another. We need to care for the one who is lost. That they would be found. I'll have to share someday a story about our ten daughters. We did not get our daughters through uh, natural birth or through young child adoption. They came to us as older uh, adults, young adults, into our lives. And we had one which was really, we, when we, God began to show us what these girls were to our life, we had one, the first one, that we were keeping in contact. And this was back in the days when cell phones were not big, not much on email and internet, and we had to write letters. Those are pieces of paper you write on, put in an envelope, and mail out, <laughs> just so you understand. Today we have email that we do more than anything and sometimes it's nice to take the personal touch and write a letter. That handwritten down makes a difference when somebody reads it because it took time. So we wrote letters and kept in contact for a time and then we started getting our letters back, returned to sender. Not that she was sending them back, she had moved, we, didn't, we lost contact. 20 years we had lost contact. And we praise God, not that Facebook's all that great in a lot of ways, but we decided to do a search, and we looked. I mean, there's various ways we looked over the years for, for her, and we looked, and we looked, and we looked. And one day, we said, let's just take a chance, because being a girl or a woman, it's possible she's married now, changed her name. We may not even find her, but let's try, and we put in her name that we knew it. And she pops up, and there's no mistake in her beautiful face. And she pops up, and we begin talking. And she had to make sure that we were who we said we were. And we grew. And it grew. And that was about seven years ago. And in the last year, we learned that we used to say they were all too old to adopt, and we've learned about adult adoption recently in this last year, and we've adopted six of the ten now but this one we found her we found her after 20 years of looking and looking there need to be rejoicing for this prodigal son we should be rejoicing tremendously when the lost is found sometimes we're afraid they would be embarrassed to bring them up front and when we ask for salvation prayer or anything else, but you know, we should celebrate that in such an amazing way that the lost is found. The problem is the older brother who represents us as Christians lost sight of how exciting it is when the lost is found. Pastor, over the next several weeks, is going to be preaching about finding the lost out there. He's going to be teaching on it on Wednesday night about finding the lost, how we need to engage in our community, how to engage in our neighbors. And there's an app we're going to be using called Encounter Outreach that it takes and shows you your neighborhood and the houses of those around you. And as you click on it, it gives you an opportunity to pray over the individual, to go and touch them. It starts by building up those relationships. We should, as Christians, should be excited about going out and finding the lost. I have to wonder about this older brother. Did he once go to try to find his brother? 
Did he once go to try to search him, or was he so like good riddance to you? And the problem is, is that we often in our Christian walk say that about our neighbors. Time is short, people. And I don't want it to be said by my neighbors, I never knew. Because my neighbors know who I am. They know what I have done for the last 30 years as in the army as a chaplain. They know you. They know when you get in your car and leave every Sunday and go to church. They already know that. And a lot of those people are saying, will they come talk to me? I like who they are and like what they represent. Will they come talk to me? And this app's going to allow us to help in doing that. But even without the app, if we just engage those around us, if we would get on fire for the lost and worry about those lost out there and stop worrying about ourselves and bring those lost in, that they can know the love of the Father. He lost perspective that the lost need to be found. It starts with that simple engagement of getting to know your neighbors. We're so afraid of that these days, aren't we? Getting to know your neighbors. Who are they? Saying hi, maybe sharing some things. Maybe like me and my neighbor, laying some sod down together as we shared part of our yard together. Or my other neighbor across the street when I... See when he left his garage door open and make sure he knows to shut it at night. Usually not him. Somebody in his family is usually. But it's engagement and we've started a relationship. It's going to them and saying, can I pray for you? You know what I've found in my life? There have been very few people that have ever said, no, really don't bother praying for me. Most people I say, no matter where they are in their stage of relationship or faith, say, yes, please pray for me. I have this going on. I have that going on. I need those prayers. They know there's power in it. They just want somebody to tell them. They're lost and need that. Then it grows from there to sharing the gospel and bringing, finally bringing that lost to be found and them accepting Christ. Whether they come to Church of Briargate or not is not as important as they go someplace in the kingdom of God. And on this app, you'll be able to take and click when you've prayed for them when they got saved. We have to take and not lose perspective like the older brother did of the situation. The situation is desperate. The lost has to be found. And when the lost is found, we should be celebrating it. The other thing that the brother lost perspective of is the fact of his place in that family. We get a little complacent in our life. Here at Church of Briargate, we have one of the greatest views. Amen? People who come in new walk in not knowing that there are these beautiful windows out here that point to the glory of God. And they're awed by it. And some of us who've been here a bit of time We forget to see past the windows to the glory that is out there. This brother lost perspective of where he was at. He had all the ATVs, all the ski jets, anything that he wanted was his. The father said, all all I have is yours. 
We get complacent in our life when we forget to look at those things that God has blessed us with. Instead, we complain about the things we don't have. Instead of looking clearly at God and saying, wow, look what he has given me. The life he has given me. The joy that he has given me. The presence of him. He also lost perspective of who his father was. He lost the perspective of spending time with him. He's gotten complacent in the fact that he lived there all the time. He was always there. I will tell you there's many times I miss the interaction with my father. Because he lives all the way in Nevada and I don't get to see him on a regular basis. And I miss that. I took it for granted when I lived at home and now I miss that. I don't want that opportunity whenever I can to talk to him, to be with him, to hear him. And this older brother lost that and we as Christians lose that. We forget we have that great opportunity to be engaged with God day in and day out, minute by minute. We get lackadaisical. We get complacent. We get... We start taking it for granted. Ever take anything for granted? Husbands, say yes. He took it for granted because of where he was at instead of realizing the great presence that he had had the ability to be in. God desires and craves that intimate relationship with us. He wants to engage in our life. He wants to be involved. And usually we keep him at arm's length. We keep him at the distance. He he already knows what's going on. You might as well bring him in so he can keep you from the things that you don't want to do anyway. God wants that intimacy. You want that excitement that you see from that person who just got saved. You want to see the things God will do in you? Then get intimate with him. Intimacy requires listening. Too often we go blah, 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 blah and get up and leave. When's the last time you be still and know he was God? When's the last time you took time to listen to what he says, it talks about meditating on the word. It talks about meditating on the word so you can listen to what God's going to speak to you. You want something new out of the scriptures, take time to get in there and get intimate with God and let him speak to you. Don't rush through and check the block. Nothing wrong with checking the block, but take the time to get something out of it. I get something new out of scripture because it's a living word of God Because you take time to look at it and realize this third character in this story has an important part in life, and it speaks to me. It means when you pray, stop and listen. I have many people say, I haven't heard from God in a while. When's the time you shut up? When's the last time you just said, God, I'm here speaking to my life? We spend so much time praying and praying and praying and talking and talking and talking, and God's trying to get an edge word in edgewise. Couples, you know what I mean? 
We get full of ourselves and, okay, here it is, God. I'm, I'm out. Do something with it. And he says, wait a minute. I want to spend time with you. You are important to me. You are my child. I love you and I want to be with you. Parents, don't you love that when your kids stop, come in and just sit and be there? Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. They're just there. And you go, ah. I love it when my girls come home. They're just there. Don't always have to do a lot of things. We can just be together. God just wants to be with you. This son, older son, forgot that his father just wants to be with him. Just wants to be there. And the son was so busy doing. There's going to be those who stand before Jesus on that day. And Jesus said, depart from me. I don't know you. And they'll say, but I did this, 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 this in your name. But I don't know you. I don't want to be one of those. I want to God to know who I am. I want to be intimate with him. I want to be engaged in him. Are you engaging with God so he knows you so that when you do the things for him, he knows that you've done them for him and not for your own glory? God craves to be intimate with us, to spend time with us. We in our busy schedules feel so much that we don't even take the time to listen. How many of you are that older brother? How many of you are that older brother? You have become complacent in what God has done in your life. You have become jealous when you watch what God does for somebody else. And you're saying, why not me? But you're not engaged with him. You're not intimate with him. You're not realizing the blessing of being in his presence and just being there. You're not taking and allowing him to operate in both the small and the big parts of your life and saying, God, just take and be a part of my life. Here it is. You're just going through the motions. Though you love God deeply, you just are there. You're not engaging in the way that you need to engage and intimate with God. You can't be jealous over the younger brother getting a party and celebrating him if you're not taking and celebrating God himself and enjoying that presence with him. Enjoying the lost being found. We are to be engaged in work. Pastor said it not too long ago that we are to be engaged in work. We're a church that does. Life groups, be one, do one. Start a new one. If there's something out there and you're not sure that you can lead it, go talk to Christy and say, I have this idea. Can we do something about it? I'm not qualified, but I think we should do it. Too often, 20% of the church do 80% of the work. Another 80% out there, people need to be engaged in the work of God. We've got kids needing teachers and Royal Rangers and missionettes. Need to be engaged in the work of God. Youth needing assistance. A lot of other things. It's about being engaged with God, but not being so about the work that you're not taking time to be in the presence of God. 
Are you that third character, the older brother? You look in your life and say, mm, that's me. I, I will tell you honestly, there's been times that older brother's been me. That older brother is you. If you're a Christian, you've been that prodigal brother, but you've turned from the prodigal brother to being the older brother now. Let God change that. Find that joy and that excitement once again of his salvation and of worshiping him. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we learn about the prodigal son and we've learned of your love for that but we also know your love for us. And some of us have been acting like the older brother. We're disgruntled, we're jealous, we're angry. That why aren't you engaged in our lives? And you say, but you're always here. Engage in me and I will engage with you. Lord, there's a purpose of your son sharing about the older brother. It's for those of us who have been following after you and we've become complacent in the things that you provided. The things that you've done in our lives in the joy of our salvation. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation, Heavenly Father, and let us be excited once again. Let us be intimate in your presence, Lord. Let us just be in your presence and realize that you are a God that is huge and yet want to be engaged in the small pieces of our life. You created the universe, but you want to touch that work situation. That if we only would engage with you and say, God, I need you want to share with us. You want to give to us. You want to, to, to testify of your greatness. Forgive us for being that older brother. And let us find that joy again, Lord. Lord, if there's one here who is that prodigal son, may today they decide that they'll no longer be that prodigal son. May today they come to their senses and say, my father has greater things. Let me go to him. And let them ask for your forgiveness for their sins. And let us all be able to rejoice in that. So while is rejoicing in the newness of our own life each day as we put you in the place that you deserve to be we look at just simple things that you do in our lives with awe and wonder and feel blessed and honored. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we're sometimes looking for that new experience. And I've known some people who jump from place to place for a new experience because it's fresh and new. You can find that fresh and new right where you're at. If you choose to let God engage in your life and be intimate with Him, you don't need to go find a new experience. You just got to take and engage with Him. So I encourage you this week, engage with Him. 
Find that intimacy. Find that joy of your salvation again. And then begin to share it with your neighbors. That the lost will be found. And we all can rejoice over that. Amen. Pastor says, by noon tomorrow, God will give you somebody. I would also say, walk across the street because he's already given them to you. Go right next door to the house next door because he's already given them to you. You just got to engage. Be willing to engage. Again, find that joy of God's salvation in your life and find that excitement again. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you as you go throughout the week. Have an awesome week. Hope to see you on Wednesday. And ladies, bring a lunch on Saturday. God bless. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it.